Gang, go ahead and get comfortable. Take your Bible if you brought it and go to Acts chapter 16, all right? Acts chapter 16. I told you a few weeks ago that the book of Acts, which follows the four Gospels, I often call them biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're, they're biographies of Christ. The book of Acts is the New Testament history book. It's the book of history. Many of the most of the New Testament epistles, letters written to churches like Corinthians and Thessalonians and Ephesians, etc., etc., they were all written during a time period that is covered in the book of Acts. Uh, I want to go to Acts 16, and I want to tell you a story about a prison break. Um, I want to tell you a story about God intervening in the lives of two men and whether or not we can expect him to do the same for us. Uh, in matter of fact, the second question on the uh, sermon discussion guide for the small groups, or if you use it for like your personal Bible study, the second question is, do you believe God desires to help us when we're in tight spots? Uh, I think a lot of religious people who are filling our churches in this community would say yes. And yet when they're in that tight circumstance or in that difficult situation, their lives, their actions, their prayer lives would reveal something totally different. I can look back over my lifetime and I can highlight several significant events, maybe a, a change in circumstances, maybe a, a change in my situation, whereby I kind of drove down a, a marker on that timeline of my life and I said, God was there. God was there and God did that. The circumstance changed and I believe it's because God intervened on my behalf. But can we expect that? Today, it's one thing to grow up in the church and read stories about Moses parting the Red Sea and then God swallowing up Pharaoh's army in the waters. David pulling five stones from a stream and bringing down a 10 foot giant named Goliath. In the New Testament, God's calming the storms and feeding 5,000. And here in Acts chapter 16, God's intervening in the life or on behalf of Paul and Silas who were in chains, who were in prison. Can we expect that today? It's one thing to know the stories growing up. It's another thing to expect them as adults. My question to you is, do you? Do you? Uh, because Acts 16 takes place in jail, I decided to do a little quick research this week on prisons in America. Did you know that in the United States of America, it costs somewhere between $28,000 and $60,000 annually to incarcerate one person. If you live in uh, certain states like South Dakota, for instance, some of the southern states like Louisiana, you can incarcerate a prisoner for $28,000, $30,000. But if you live in the Northeast, like New Jersey and New York, sixty dollars per inmate per year. I also found out that the largest prison in the world is in Russia. Uh, it's called Kharkov. Kharkov. Um, it, it, there is an estimated, and I use this in quotes, estimated 40,000 prisoners in Kharkov prison. When I read that, I thought, estimated? Like they're not keeping track of these things or what? You ought to know how many people are in your prison. Um, today we're going to read about... A prison break. Now, in our culture, I think there are lots of people who deserve to be in prison. And we say, here, here for that. Law and order. I'm kind of a law and order kind of guy. If you break the, the rules, uh, you know, you need to try and fix that best you can. 
Um, if not, you need to pay the penalty. There are others, tragically, that we have all heard about who are in pres- prison and they don't deserve to be there. And that just makes us sick to our stomach. But look, one thing that all prisoners have in common is they want to get out. They want to get out. Except for Paul and Silas, the two prisoners we're going to read about uh, today. Acts chapter 16 contains a, a story that you probably heard about since your Sunday school days but a story that's ever bit as relevant today for us as it was for anyone. Uh, in this day, first century, the church revolution is beginning to gain momentum, and two of the most prominent influential leaders and missionaries at this time were missionaries Paul and Silas. All right, Read with me, beginning in verse 16 of Acts chapter 16. The Bible says, once when we were going, Luke is the author, the same Luke that wrote the Gospel of Luke, once when we, he was traveling with Paul and Silas, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she could predict the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. One of the cool things about how the Bible came together was these learned men, uh, scholars of the Hebrew and the Greek language, they go back to the earliest manuscripts we have, and they translate Greek to English in a way that we can understand. The Greek language is a very uh, illustrative language. It is, it is very, very poetic in nature. In fact, the literal translation of this girl here who had a, a spirit on her by which she could predict the future is a, quote, python spirit. A python spirit. Now, that doesn't mean anything to us, but in the first century it meant something to them because the Greek god Apollo, Apollo believed to inhabit the python, making the snake capable of foretelling the future. So this girl probably worshipped Apollo, and in the name of Apollo she possessed this python spirit, which enabled her, like some sort of carnival act, to foretell the future, and she made a lot of money for her handlers. Verse 17, she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed. I'm glad to hear that a man of God gets annoyed because I get annoyed from time to time. And one of the things that crosses my mind is, should I? Should I be annoyed at this traffic? Should I be annoyed at that person driving for six miles with their blinker on, their turn signal on? Should I be annoyed at the person who jumps in front of me just because a new cash register opens up at Walmart or the grocery store? Paul got annoyed, okay? Verse 18, she kept it up for many days. Paul became so annoyed, he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. Demon possession and the spirit of demons upon culture. Boy, that's a subject for another time. I'd love to spend time talking about that. Keep reading. Verse 19. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. They dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews. They're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Uh, Paul became so annoyed because probably hanging around with this fortune teller was going to be bad for his business. Uh, associating missionaries with a, um, a follower of Apollo, a foreteller of the future, was not something that Paul was interested in doing. Uh, when he finally rebukes this spirit and the spirit is removed, 
Then he gets arrested. Imagine doing something good for the community. This is his first entrance into Europe, and this is the reception that he gets. He's arrested. Uh, Verse number 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. The magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Imagine that. Verse 23. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Now, obviously, none of us have ever been imprisoned because of our faith. But there is something to pause and reflect upon for a moment. Whenever you are intentional about your faith, as Paul and Silas were, you're going to influence others both for the good and for the bad. It's coming. That kind of influence is demonstrated throughout the book of Acts because everywhere John went or James went or Peter went or Paul or Silas or Barnabas, everywhere they went, the crowds came and they either fell on the good side or the bad side of the influence, the reputation that Paul and Silas were delivering. Verse 24. When he, the jailer, received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Quite a reception for doing what Paul and Silas did. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. They're singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Uh, You may not know this. And maybe it's a bit, I don't know, simplistic for me to point this out. But everybody has influence with someone. Everybody. Everyone here has influence over someone. In this particular situation, in their darkened hour... At midnight, they began singing praise to God, not unlike what we just participated in a few moments ago. And in their singing, there are others who are being influenced. Same is true for us. Verse 26. Suddenly there came such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open. Everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Back in Acts chapter 12, we read of Peter's miraculous escape from prison. And when Peter miraculously escaped from prison, Herod, the king, executed 16 of the guards. Obviously, this guard had heard about that. Obviously, he knew what had happened. And he assumed, since the earthquake had opened the doors, all the prisoners have fled, and I'm going to be executed next. So he decided to take his own life. Verse number 28. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. Don't do it. We're all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and all of your household. I said earlier that every prisoner, everyone locked up behind bars wants to get out. Paul and Silas were the exception. Amazingly, they were in no hurry to escape. I mean, we don't find them digging tunnels or drawing elaborate maps or creating escape plans in their cell. Uh, They're singing hymns at midnight. I want to give you a principle. This is worth noting before we move on. Paul and Silas's mindset concerning their circumstance brought about a change in their situation. Paul and Silas's mindset regarding their circumstance brought about a change in their situation. Now stop for a moment. This is not some kind of rehash of the old school name it and claim it kind of theology that's prevalent in many of our churches. 
I don't want you to think for a moment that there's some prayer you can pray, there's something you can do, there's some verse you can quote that forces God to intervene on your behalf. But, but, I want you to know that He can. In fact, that's the main point of the message today. Here's the principle. While my behavior, or yours, and my lifestyle cannot force the movement of God on my behalf, He is bound, however, through His own word to shelter those whose hearts are stayed on Him. Look at that. A lot of words there. Make sure you get it. Okay, let me read it again. While my behavior and my lifestyle, in other words, I choose to do good, I choose to do right, I choose to pray, I choose to believe, I am a man or woman of faith. While my behavior, my lifestyle cannot force the movement of God on my behalf, he is bound, however, through his own word to shelter those whose hearts are stayed on him. If you're not familiar with this particular passage, Psalm chapter 91, Psalm chapter 91, you need to read it this afternoon when you get home. Psalm 91 says the following, He, or she, who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, the word dwell there means abides, stays, who lives consciously in the shelter of the Most High, will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Powerful term there. Because He loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him, I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble and I will deliver him and honor him. Do you know what the psalmist is saying there? The psalmist is saying that while we cannot, by our own actions, force God to move on our behalf, we can, however, set ourselves up to receive the blessing of God in difficult circumstances. We can. You have more power than you think over your circumstance. Now, I bring this to your attention because in a church the size of this one, I could very easily name two dozen people who are battling cancer, who are going through a divorce, who are struggling financially, who have a teenager that's causing some problems or dealing with a difficult situation concerning their child or their family. The list goes on and on and on and on. As your pastor, I'm asking you... Do you honestly expect God to intervene in that circumstance? I can tell you, and I'm ashamed to admit this, that early on in my faith walk, I expected God to intervene every time. But as life continued to unfold, and as circumstances continued to beat me up a little bit, I got to a point in my faith walk where it was like, okay, God, take it or leave it. What are you going to do? And then I come across a story like this one. Paul and Silas, there they sit in prison and God does exactly what we want him to do. I mean, is there anything better than a happy ending where the hero goes free, locked up by the villain, life threatened by evil, and somehow, some way, God intervenes and Paul and Silas have the opportunity to walk away. I'm going to point out three quick things and we'll quit. Because I think that God intervenes on our behalf often because of these three things. Number one, my lifestyle is committed to Him. In other words, I'm serious about it. Who would argue that Paul and Silas weren't seriously committed to God? I mean, if they're missionaries, if they're serious enough about their faith to endure suffering, 
to endure persecution, to be beaten in the name of Jesus, and to be imprisoned, and then sing about it at midnight, who would argue that they weren't serious about their faith? Let me ask you, how committed are you? How committed are you? Way back in the day, the 40s or 50s, in the inner city of Chicago, there was a famous preacher named Henry Ward Beecher. And Henry Ward Beecher had grown weary with the mob's influence in the city of Chicago. And so he stood Sunday after Sunday in the pulpit of his church and he railed against the sins of his fellow Chicagoans. One particular Sunday, he came down hard against gambling, against drunkenness. And he knew he made a lot of people uncomfortable, especially business owners who profited from such sins. The owners of speakeasies, the owners of bars that capitalized on the weakness of a community and drunkenness and gambling. I mean, he let them have it. Well, later on in the week, he was walking home one night and a man accosted him from an alley. He shoved a gun in his face and he said, take it back, take it all back right now. The man was so convicted, evidently, from being in the service on Sunday about his means of acquiring wealth and his means of gaining uh, uh, money that he absolutely decided to confront Dr. Beecher. He said, take every bit of it back. Take it back right now. He said, I'll, I'll shoot you here dead on the spot. The story goes that Dr. Beecher turned and walked away from him and looked over his shoulder and said, go ahead, shoot because I guarantee you, you won't hit the mark as well as I did last Sunday in the service. See? The whole idea of being convicted by God to bring our lives in line with what He would expect for us, when we respond, it demonstrates our commitment to Him. And being fully committed to Him might be, might be the invitation God is waiting for to intervene on your behalf. Here's number two. Number two, go ahead and skip those barn and numbers, Kristen. Let's go to number two. Often God intervenes when my mindset is not me-centered. You know what blows me away when I read this story? And I don't mean to overstate it. It literally blows me away, even though I've read this story three dozen times. When the earthquake occurs and the doors fall from their hinges, what would you have done? What would I have done? I'd have beat feet. I'd have got out of Dodge. I'd have headed for the hills, right? What did they do? They waited. They stayed. When I saw that guard take that sword and prepare to fall on it, I'd have said, see you later, alligator. You know, good luck on the other side. We're headed home. We're, get, we're out of here. That's what I would have done. Maybe that's what you would have done. That's not what Paul and Silas did. Because their whole mindset was not me-centered. i got to be honest with you. <laughs> I'm afraid mine is quite often. Mine is me-centered. I'm egocentric. Therefore, when I'm in the midst of a dire and difficult circumstance, I'm pouring it out to God, even though my life has been self-guided until that point. When I hit the hard time, I pour it out to God. Okay, God, you come rescue me. You come change my circumstance. One of the things this story teaches me is that God is more inclined to intervene on our behalf when our mindset is not completely egocentric. It's not completely me-centered. Listen to Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19. I will give them an undivided heart, and I will put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone, and I'm going to give them a heart of flesh. That's God's desire for Israel. 
That's God's desire for us. A man by the name of Walter Tubbs has written regarding this community idea, this idea of being others-minded as opposed to self-centered. Quote, if I just do my thing and you do yours, and my friends, that has never been more true, that has never been more descriptive of life in America than it is right now today, I'll do my thing, you do yours. We won't judge each other. We won't cause any problems. But he says, if I do my thing and you do yours, we stand in danger of losing each other and ourselves. We are fully ourselves only in relation to each other. The I detached from a thou disintegrates. I do not find you by chance. I find you by an active life of reaching out. Let me give you very quickly an other minded, others minded strategy. Uh, this past Friday, I'm sitting in my office and I'm kind of going through this and I'm thinking, you know, what do I want to communicate to our church that gives them the idea that, hey, these are some concrete things I can do to become others minded and several things came to my mind here's the first thing if you want to be others minded then try writing a note of encouragement to somebody who's in need don't shoot them a text don't forward them an email don't give them something clever that lifted your spirit at one point sit down with a piece of paper and actually write out a note of encouragement one of the most profoundly powerful and in fact impactful things you could do is just that. You know someone who is suffering. You know someone in need of encouragement. Simply take the five or ten minutes to write it out and give it to them. Here's something else. Treat somebody to lunch after the service. Look around. Invite someone with you to lunch after the service and say, I'm picking up the tab. Here's number three. Volunteer for ministry at the church. Serve. Give of your time to become others-minded and not me-centered. Number four, send a gift to one of our missionary families, Kenya, Romania. Number five, take along a child of a single parent. We've got a family in our church uh, that has children of their own, and every opportunity they have when they go to wild adventures or when they go to a ball game or when they go this way or that way, they take along another child of a single parent who might not get to go otherwise. That's a way to be others-minded and not, not necessarily me-centered. Here's number three. I think God intervened on their behalf because Paul and Silas re realized that their circumstance was still subject to his authority. Their circumstance, good or bad, positive or negative, was still subject to God's authority. They didn't leave, and, and what happened? They didn't leave. The, the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus. And there it is, verse 31. God's simple plan. This is conversion. It's beautifully simple. It has nothing to do with so much of what we think religion is about. Several questions. Here's one. Are you aware that God has a plan for your life just like he has a plan for Paul's or Silas's? He's got a plan for yours. Whether you are 18 years old and recently graduated from high school or 78 years old and enjoying the fruits of your labor in retirement. God has a plan for your life. The scripture makes that clear. Do you recognize God has a plan for your life? Jeremiah 29, verse 11. The Bible says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Proverbs 20, verse 24. A man or woman's steps are directed by the Lord. Psalm 37, verse 5. <coughs> Excuse me. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He'll do this. He'll make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday 
son, are you aware that God has a plan for your life? A lot of people can believe that God had a plan for my life 30 years ago when I decided to be a minister. Or God had a plan for Jonathan's life when he went to seminary. <clears throat> or that God had a plan for a missionary. Or Billy Graham, an evangelist. But very few, even, even religious people sitting in churches all around our community, very few truly believe that God has a plan for their life. Here's another important question. What are you hiding? What are you hiding? Never underestimate the value of a clear conscience when it comes to God's intervention in your circumstance. It is a beautiful thing to be able to pray and ask God to intervene, knowing fully well that there's nothing hidden. Here's question number three. <clears throat> Do you regularly ask for his guidance? My mother taught me many years ago the most powerfully profound prayer I could ever pray every day is God give me wisdom. That's one of the reasons most days, not all days, but most days I read a proverb in the Old Testament according to whatever day it is. If it's May 28th, today I would read Proverbs chapter 28. If it's June, chapter, uh, June the 4th, then I would read Proverbs chapter 4. Because the, the book of Proverbs is all about wisdom. Are you asking for his guidance? Here's question number four. How available are you? When he reveals it to you, how available are you? And question number five, have you given him your way? You see, suffering for Paul and Silas, they were beaten, they were imprisoned, was equivalent to outreach for God. And were it not for the unfairness the self-perceived unfairness of their situation or circumstance, this jailer may never have come to faith in Jesus Christ. They were available. How available are we? Last week I read a story in, <clears throat> about an old man dying in a hospital. A nurse rushes in his son, sits him down in a chair there in the hospital room. The man's enclosed in some kind of oxygen tent. She says, sir, your son is here. Your son is here. The man doesn't respond because he's heavily sedated, maybe even unconscious. But the young man reaches through the oxygen tent and takes the old man's hand and squeezes it. The nurse says again, sir, your son is here. Your son is here. The man struggles to open his eyes. But even when he does, he's in such a weakened condition, he can barely make out a silhouette of his son sitting on the other side of that oxygen tent. All night long, this young man just keeps squeezing and messages of encouragement to his father over and over again. The two didn't communicate, really, but the message was being received. Finally, sometime in the wee hours of the morning, the old man dies. So the young man takes his hand, puts it back on the inside of the tent and on the bed, goes outside, gets the nurse. The nurses come in, they do their thing. They turn to the young man and they begin to offer their condolences, to which the man interrupts them and says, who was that elderly gentleman? And the nurse says, I thought he was your father. He said, no, he wasn't my father. She said, well, then why did you spend the night sitting with him? He said, because I heard that he was dying and he needed to see his son. And when his son couldn't be found, I realized how much he probably needed me. And so I sat there. Let me ask you one simple question. If God somehow miraculously wrote with his finger on your wall this evening, this is what I want you to do, how would you respond? How available would you be? Is your heart 
and soul and spirit committed enough to Him that He would intervene? Is your mindset and outlook others-minded more so than me-centered? And do you recognize that all things being equal, good, bad, or indifferent, all of our circumstances are still subject to His approval and His authority? Which is it? The story I've heard since I was probably in the second grade. Paul and Silas prayed in the darkness and God intervened in their circumstance. I'm hoping to challenge some of you today to walk out of here and become emboldened to ask God to intervene in yours. Because He can, and very often He will. Let's pray. Father, I'm ashamed as I sit here and read a story like this that how often I just tell myself, suck it up, push through it, and I don't even think to ask you to help me. And Father, I think I do that because I feel like, from my vantage point, you've let me down before. I've asked before and you didn't do anything, and I convinced myself, well, I don't understand the way God works, so I guess the best thing I can do is do the best I can myself. Father, forgive me and help us realize that while we're never, ever going to back you into a corner and force you to move on our behalf because of what we pray or because of what we believe or the verses we know, at the same time, Father, we can set ourselves up in a position whereby you are very apt, even bound by your word, to act on our behalf. So help us live lives that are committed to you. Not torn in seven different directions with loyalties that are fractured and splintered, but solely committed to you. Help us, God, open our eyes and our hearts and become more others-minded, less me-centered, and help us realize that all of our circumstances, good and bad, are still subject to your authority. They matter. I pray these things, Father, because of my respect for you, my respect for your son, Jesus. Dismiss us now with your blessing in his name, I ask. Amen. God bless you, Grace Community Church. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Make it a fantastic day. I'll see you next time. All of these regrets are clouding my